this spell. So a few years ago, I was driving down the street, and I saw a sign outside of a chain pet store for a puppy adoption. And I currently don't have a dog, but I've been puppy sick for as long as I can remember. And so as I pulled into the pet store's parking lot, I joked with my friends that I was not allowed to leave with a puppy. I just don't think it would be fair to include a dog in my life currently, but even more so then. So we entered the store, and we were immediately confronted by this puddle of just fur and slobber. There were maybe 15 or 20 dogs, and they were all rolling around on the ground, ready for the taking. And really, I had to force myself not to adopt one of these furry creatures. They just looked so cute and warm, and turning my back on them was more difficult than I had anticipated. But while walking back to the car, you know, my shoulders were slouched, my mind was racing, I'm trying to figure out any way a puppy could fit in my life. I remember wondering, you know, where did these dogs come from? Where were their mothers, or, you know, where were they born? Really, who bred these dogs? So fast forward a few years, and I'm scrolling through my Facebook page and stumble upon an article put out by Vice Magazine titled, I Worked for a Puppy Mill. And it turns out the article was written by my friend Josiah Hesse, who is a local journalist. And in the piece, Josiah tells a story of working as a delivery driver between puppy mills and pet stores. Puppy mills are essentially large-scale breeding facilities that stock pet stores across the country. But the piece profiles the cold and cruel reality of these puppy mills and commercial breeding in general. It's a startling and beautiful piece, and after reading it, I wanted to hear more about his experience working such a contentious job. But I'll let Josiah tell you more about that. And just a quick warning, this piece includes some graphic images of animal abuse, so if that's not your cup of tea, you may want to skip this episode. Without further ado, here's Josiah. Telling the story requires putting me in the role of the villain. I mean, I, I feel like I should be given some grace because I didn't know what I was getting into and didn't... You know? When you're 22 years old and you're very idealistic and you have a view of the way the world should work, it's... It's hard to accept that it doesn't work that way, and it's just such a black feeling of misery to know that you had some role to play in it not looking the way it should. My name's Josiah Hesse. I'm a Denver-based journalist with Vice and The Cannabis and Split Cider. Yeah, I was 22, um, <clears throat> and I hadn't really left... Iowa a whole lot. I uh, hadn't really traveled. I grew up in a pretty small town. Um, so no, uh, me and my friends, we were kind of dropout artists. You know, we smoked a lot of pot and, you know, worked a lot of jobs. We worked in like I built windmills, call centers, collection agencies, and restaurants. I never went to college. No, I'm profoundly uneducated. It's in construction sites. I as a chimney repairman for a family of Scientologists. Yeah, I've had so many, you know, jobs, but nothing I ever put very much effort into, you know. So how did you find this this job? Was 
while I was out there, um, my friend, uh, who I named Pete in the story, uh, had said, hey, I got this job. You know, the two of us were always getting jobs. It was always just come and go with jobs or like tissue paper. Um, and he's like, we're delivering puppies to pet stores. We're going to drive in a van across the country. We're going to get paid to do it. We're going to have an expense account, you know, the credit card so we can go out to eat. We can get drinks and see, you know, the eastern half of the country that we'd never seen before. It, it just sounded too good to be true. We were uh, to drive to multiple puppy mills around Iowa and deliver the dogs, you know, to Chicago, Detroit, you know, New York, Boston. And it wasn't a puppy mill necessarily that we were working for. It was a delivery service. It was the middleman. I didn't know what we were getting into. Um, Like I said before, my image of it (laughs) heard a lot of that. We had to start very early, like at five in the morning, and uh, I was very tired. Um, My image of it was that it was just going to be a couple of dogs in a warm van, you know, probably them just running around being cute, fluffy puppies. Um, And when we arrived, I noticed the smell first, you know, just coming from this large aluminum kind of hanger, and then the sound, once I got inside, the sound of these dogs is just something that has stayed with me uh, over the years. It's just I can't get it out of my head because there were hundreds and hundreds of dogs crying. You know, it's the sound of puppies crying. They were stacked in crates um, like seven or eight high from floor uh, to ceiling and just a long corridor, like just endless. Uh, and there's multiple dogs in each uh, cage and they, they jump and they, they bark and they're clamoring at the, the gate and walking through there, um, um, uh, the, the overwhelming sensory overload of having that come at you, it just broke me down like I had to run to the bathroom and throw up partly from being grossed out of the smell but also just the experience there was this mother who was outside uh, the warehouse and she had long udders you can tell that she'd had a lot of litters and had this hoarse bark it was just this And I was like, that's weird. Has she just been barking all the time and her voice went out? I later learned that their voice boxes are removed, um, which further gives them anxiety and powerlessness, not to mention that their babies are being pulled from them when they're way too young. And the mother was on a chain, um, you know, a short chain, and we're stealing her babies. This is kidnapping. You know, we're physically carrying them away and she just has to watch helplessly barking and and I got the sense that she'd been barking for a long time before we showed up and she would continue to bark for a long time after we left 
this wasn't just an isolated, unfortunate incident that I witnessed. This was just a way of life. When I tell this story, because I, I told people about it before, people ask, why did you do it? Why didn't you just turn and run once you saw what it was? Because that was just, you know, 30, 40 miles from my home. I could have just said, no way. And I didn't. And that's something that I feel just kind of humiliated and embarrassed about. It wasn't an unfamiliar experience to be a kid in Iowa and feel these things towards animals and have someone else be like, well, this is the way the world works, kid. You know, what are you crying about? They would be varying um, sizes of puppy mills. Some of them, like the first one I said, was just this huge, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dogs. Some of them would just be like 10 or 15 dogs. Some would be outside, some would be inside. Um, so we would physically pick up the puppies, you know, out of the, the cages they were in at the mill and carry them, you know, under our arms like, you know, you would anything else and put them into the new cages. The cages were stacked up in the van and there were like three or four dogs in each one. You know, there were over 100 dogs in this van. Granted, it was kind of an extended van, but not like a, a Winnebago or anything. It was just a van. And yeah, it was pretty casual, you know, we loaded them just like you would boxes. We got to stay in a hotel once, no, twice uh, over the week. Otherwise, we were driving in the van 24 hours a day. That was a rule that it had to keep moving 24 hours a day. So one of us would sleep while the other drove. And we got sick um, pretty quickly, you know. Um, Could have been that it was January and when you're traveling, you, you get a little, you know, scratchy throat and fever, but also, we were in a little van with hundreds of shitting dogs. I'm sure that, you know, kicked our immune system's ass. The smell was just atrocious and we wanted to roll down the windows, but it was January driving down the highway uh, in Iowa, you know, probably like 10 below zero or something. Um, yeah, pretty quick, I my image of what it would be had changed. We didn't get to enjoy um, much of the cities because there was this schedule to keep. I, I really wanted to explore Chicago. At that time, I hadn't been to Chicago. I've been there a lot since, but um, I wanted to like, you know, go out, go shopping, you know, go have drinks somewhere, but there was no time. The last pet store we stopped at in Chicago, um, the owner looked very confu uh, confused and concerned about the dogs because some of them were sick. And when they're sick, they get returned to the van and they're sent back. Uh, they're looking for kennel cough, you know, wheezing in the chest, matter in the eyes for eye infections. And he comes back to the van. Uh, the back doors are open because we're putting the dogs back in. And he says, don't get pulled over in Illinois with your van looking like that because you'll be arrested for animal abuse. And I can't describe how my heart dropped in that moment. I mean, the, 
the idea that I was witnessing this was emotional enough, but the idea that I was responsible for this was just uh, maddening. And it turns out that in 2012, there were two uh, young guys who were hired by the exact same company that we were, doing the exact same job that we were, in Chicago that were arrested for animal abuse. 40 felony accounts, one for each dog. They only had 40, we had 100 dogs. But that very easily could have been us. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot in the years since, that there's a, a behind the curtain uh, that we don't often see of uh, how the world makes things for us. There's a lot of activity behind the curtain that we would feel very um, disgusted by if we saw it. But there's a lot of people who put forth a lot of energy keeping you from seeing what's going on behind the curtain. It's a barbaric system that yeah, I don't think people know about. I uh, we went to New Jersey, uh, Boston, New York City, Chicago, Detroit. Maybe there were others, uh, maybe some smaller cities in between, like Akron, Ohio. Um, this was all in one week. Um, and we got to New York City, which was the big deal for me, because, you know, huge fan of just... Velvet Underground and Andy Warhol and Bob Dylan. It, like I'd spent so many years reading about New York City and had never been there. And we had one night where we were free to go out and have a good time. And we had to take the Staten Island Ferry to get uh, in there. Um, at least I think that was the one. And we were allowed to, you know, go up to where there's like a, a lounge uh, and we had cocktails like on the company card and it was beautiful, you know, Staten Island Ferry going to New York, you know, drinking cocktails on a sunny uh, day. But uh, the whole time, you know, just knowing that the dogs were still in there in the cold, dark van, sick these when the new york city was the end of the line and the dogs that were left in the van were the sick ones that never left my mind i mean it couldn't it just yeah we quit in new york and we ran up a few charges on the company card we got a hotel uh and you know had dinner uh and then later the next day when we were driving back we had time because we were we quit. Uh, there wasn't the rush to get back, and we stopped in a park, I think somewhere in New Jersey, and let these dogs out. And it was unseasonably warm for January, and there was grass, and these dogs were just so delighted. I mean, as you could imagine, getting out of that van, the sunshine, the soft grass, you know, uh, fresh air. We ran around with them and, you know, they were chasing us and having a good time. They weren't scared of us. You know, you'd fall in the grass and they'd jump all over you and lick your face and um, just so full of love. And I remember thinking at that time, like, they don't know that it's me that's responsible for them being so miserable. You know, I'm the one that's putting them back in the cage and driving them around and making money off of this. 
and I don't know what happened to those dogs. We drove back, we dropped them off. Uh, they, they might have died. Well, this episode was produced by me, Mark Anderson, and uh, big thanks to Josiah for sharing this story. I really highly recommend you going and reading his article. It's super good, and it goes far more in depth about the political atmosphere that enables this sort of animal abuse to exist. And you can find a link to the article on our website. It's thesmallestbone.com. And speaking of the website, so for this episode and all future episodes, I'm going to be adding these little multimedia extras online. So for this episode, I've included a photo gallery of pictures from inside puppy mills. And they're pretty hard to see, but they give a clearer image of how bad these facilities can be. And there's also a few portraits of Josiah, so check it out. Um, I want to thank the Iowa Friends of Companion Animals. It's an organization working to raise awareness about commercial dog breeding in Iowa and advance the humane and responsible treatment of pets. They contributed the puppy mill photos, and there's a link to their site on our site where you can learn more about their work. So yeah, make sure you check all that out, and while you're at it, follow The Smallest Bone on Facebook and Twitter and SoundCloud, and subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. And also, if you wouldn't mind just taking a minute to review the show on iTunes, the reviews mean a lot to me, and it really helps the show get on its feet. It seriously takes seconds, but it's a huge favor. I'd just love to hear what you think. So yeah, thanks for listening, and new episodes will be out soon.